Thank you for your courage and for your vulnerability and for your trust in this practice, as this practice, in each other, in me. I've talked to many of you, and Laura, we've talked to many of you. It's continually, deeply inspiring to be nourished, challenged, bolstered by your practice. It's only, what, two and a half days, and there is a deep quiet. I don't know if you're feeling it for yourself, but I feel it here. The, um, one of the reasons that I am so grateful for your courage is that um, if, if this hasn't become apparent yet, it may become apparent at some point, is that the experience of the experience of liberation in the body is vulnerability. What we want the experience of liberation to be in the body is maybe not vulnerability. But the experience of liberation in the body is vulnerability. Because the experience of giving up all of the positions we use to control life is nothing but vulnerability. Whether we control it by rational storytelling, by shutting down our emotions, by hiding, by rage, and all of these are admirable. This is not, I have zero, I have not a negative thing to say or feel about all of the strategies we have protected ourselves with. I think, I believe in my heart, they are all honorable bodhisattvas to the last one. There is just a day when there's a retirement date for our freedom to manifest. If our freedom is to manifest, if our liberation is to manifest, there has to be a retirement date for some of them. And that retirement date actually is more like a transformation date. The strategies that we use to protect our investment in separation, they transform and begin to support our liberation. But that transformation is a very, very vulnerable moment because that feels like dying. That feels like the death of something that we have known. And we back away from that and we back away from that until we trust enough to not. Do we trust the cushion, trust the practice, trust the community, trust the earth? Trust life. Trust that life itself, that the 
experience of the interweaving, dependently co-arising universe, for me, is going to feel like a very vulnerable, flowing existence that, I, that leaves me nothing to grab onto. If I'm going to experience that constantly shifting life, and all the handles that I think I can grab, they're going to fall away. All of them. And so the hard, the kind of hard truth is, if we're not down with vulnerability, we are not down with liberation. Now, that vulnerability needs to be respected and be slow and careful. We need to assess. We certainly need to assess our environment, the people we're with, who we can trust. And it's confusing, right? Because we bring with us these histories that have um, conditioned us to wisely not trust, to wisely be suspicious in some situations. So how then in a community like this do we begin to tease out what is um, a new instance of maybe not being sure and an old and old instances coming forward and overlaying onto it. And that there's no equation there. There's no simple, um, I'll do this and then do this and then do this. There's just the difficult, vulnerable work of looking at our fears. And at root, it's usually fear. And discerning our fear. And then seeing that fear. I never like to just jump over. You know, I, I want to always um, respect the wisdom of all of our processes because I think it's too easy to say, well, the fear comes from a investment and separation. It does, but, um, but even when that fear drops away, there's caution, there's attention, there's trusting people. One thing that, that um, Reb said early in my practice, he said, we can only trust people to be, we can trust people to be who they are, not who we want them to be. As far as who we want them to be, they are totally untrustworthy. They will not be who we want them to be, or even who we need them to be. But we can trust them to be their karmic unfolding. That we can trust. And so to be intimate with a life, not even life, because I feel like life I can trust to be what I need it to be, if I'm really clear on what I need which is very, actually quite little. But, um, but to be with each other in a way where we can trust people to be who they are, and we can express our needs, 
and we can clarify our relationships. You know, every, every time that in, in practice discussion that it gets down to the question, what is the most important thing? Everybody gives some version of the same answer, which is love. Everybody gives, it's, it's some version of the same response. Because we know that, the, I think we know at our root that the most important thing is our interconnectedness. That simply is the case. This is the most important thing. It's the most important thing because it's what is real. It's not just a, um, the most important value that we attain to, that we hope to attain. It's, um, it's what is. And because it's what is, if, because it is what is, when our karma tears it, when our beliefs tear it, when we harm each other, that is the very reason why it hurts so badly. If it were not the truth of existence, we wouldn't care. The pain that arises is the evidence of the fabric of love. And so when we're, um, the last couple days of talking about collective karma and collective self, how do we take, how, how do we actually take care of that in a community? How do we actually do something that is um, very uh, difficult and rarely tried in my, in my life experience, maybe in others this is not true, which is to not simply meet our collective karma with the capacity to identify the wounds because that's something we need to do, but that is one capacity. But with the capacity, and this capacity we have to cultivate together, with the capacity to identify the path to healing. And so often, the path to healing, or the perceived path to healing, is just ignore the wounds. Just don't pay attention to them. They're impolite dinner conversation. You can't hear me? Sorry. Ignore the wounds and how to talk about them. We don't know. We, don't, we haven't practiced. We haven't practiced enough how to talk about them. And so it was brought up uh, yesterday about how harmful some of the speech can be um, in the social justice community around talking about these wounds. Because what comes up, right, rightly so, is our pain around the wounds. And if that's unexamined or partially examined, we're going to speak from the energy of that wound. And sometimes we're speaking from a vulnerable place, but other times we're, and often, we're speaking from a protective place place because we don't trust the group of people we're with. All this is totally reasonable, actually. I don't know that it'll lead to the desired outcomes, 
but it's reasonable. And so then, this comes back to vulnerability, how do we start to trust and cultivate the space where we can talk about the wounds in a vulnerable way where somebody doesn't, and they still might, but where we reduce the chances that somebody's going to redig into it or lay down another one. Now, ultimately, the bodhisattva's practice is to be able to handle those redigs. Because we know that it's coming from the karma of another person. It's not personal. Somebody's doing something and they're talking in a way and their speech is not so great and, um, and it's maybe punitive or overgeneralizing or making statements that we can't really get behind and that speech is coming and so what is going on in my body? Am I bypassing curiosity and going straight to attack? Sometimes. Because I know they're wrong. Or can I hold, which, is, which curiosity, <laughs> curiosity requires vulnerability. It just requires it. It is not possible to be curious and be defended at the same time. Maybe a little defended. But full-on, full-force defense, it's pretty hard to be curious when, that, when, when the, the when I was thinking the temple guardians are baring their teeth. So one of the worst ways, in my opinion, <laughs> that Dharma communities can become unsafe is when the teachings are used defensively. When Dharma communities break down um, is if somebody brings their suffering and we start using a teaching to kind of dissect it or brings their feedback. And we use teachings, and we, I'll give some examples of this. We give teachings to dissect it. And when we, this seems to happen a lot with the discussion of collective karma. Some of these we know and, and, and are obvious, like we don't need to talk about race because race is a construction, or race is empty. We don't need to talk about it. Well, everything is empty and everything is a construction, so. That is, <laughs> so that is, that doesn't really hold up. I mean, if we're going to come from a Buddhist perspective on this, there is, there is um, nothing that the mind isn't involved in the projection of. Nothing. So to, to say that's a projection or that's a construction just is not is not a reason. The, the thing that would be brought up for me right away is what's, what deflect, why is the deflection happening at that moment? Because the self, we, we, everything we're studying is this. Everything. So when we use the teaching, so at the moment of, let's say, just 
there, there, there is going to be an encouragement, um, I hope. And this is going to take a lot of training and a lot of patience and a lot of tenderness and a lot of gentleness with each other and a lot of courage to be able to say, this is what I felt like when you said X. Just to be able to make that statement, this is what I felt like when you said X. Not necessarily, not, not this is what you meant, because we don't know what the person meant, but this is what I felt like when you said X, and just to state that, and to stay curious, because at the moment that we realize that we may have caused someone else pain, and not only that we may have caused them pain, but we may have caused them pain based on something we were blind to, then it's really scary. That's particularly scary. It becomes difficult to hear. So two things, I think, as the listener that are really important. One is, let us all please assume we are blind partially to ourselves. It is impossible to have a conversation if there isn't some sense that I may not be aware of some of the conditioning that is operating. And actually, this has textual support because we're in the Mahayana tradition, and I'm not going to go into the details, but there's Alia, which is the basic consciousness within our school, which is all the karmic seeds we're not aware of and can never become aware of. We just see their fruits. Their fruits come up in our conscious life. But the conditioning, much of the conditioning of who we are, is beyond our capacity to see. So that being said, let's just start with the assumption that we have blind spots. The second thing is, because of that, to be really, really curious. Actually, there's three things. I just thought of a third. To be really, really curious, or try to bring curiosity to something someone said. And this is not curiosity. I don't know if you feel it in yourselves, but curiosity for me is not an intellectual endeavor at all. No, I really am very curious about what you're saying. It is a huge heart response. And people can feel, they can feel when we are curious. And that curiosity may bring up in our gut a lot of fear. Because that means we don't, we have no control and we have no control, period. And when we're, in, in, when we're in dialogue with each other, we have no control over what is going to come to us. So to assume our blindness, partial, not total, and, and, and there needs to be a discussion. What gets complicated with, with that is some of us have been totally trained to doubt ourselves. So that needs to be worked out in the process of assuming our blindness, that can get confused. And maybe that'll come up in questions or another conversation, but there's that. There's curiosity. There's recognizing, this is gonna end up four, I'm just gonna keep adding things. 
um, there's recognizing and really paying attention to all the ways that these are related, three and four, all the ways that we try to control the conversation so that we don't have to be vulnerable and curious. And so that relates to the, the other point, which is not everybody is going to bring feedback or something to me in a perfect way that I can digest. They're just not. It's scary, first off, to do it. So there might be energy there, and there might be, there's probably going to be fear. There's going to be a whole history of trauma. There is a lot, there is a lot of woundedness in our community. Let's just be clear. There's a lot of joy and amazing things, and there's a lot of woundedness here. Walk gently. People may not be able to bring things to me or to us in ways that are, um, I was having a conversation with someone just about this, that is just, is not necessarily the way. And we may want to put on that way of, of um, we may have our own rules about how we think things should come to us. And if we do that at that moment, it will probably shut it down. In other words, if we say, and, and where, I, where I feel is, I'll give you an example. If, I'm a, if I am a, and I understand this is advanced bodhisattva practice to, in, in a way, but um, if somebody comes to me and they bring me feedback with anger, and I say, no, you, you need to do this when you're not angry. We're done as a sangha. You know, it's very hard as a teacher, I actually need to be able to say, what is it to hear the pain in the anger, to hear the request in the anger, to hear the suffering in the anger? Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to let myself just get beat up. If somebody's cruel, cruel is different. <laughs> I'm not interested in people being cruel to me. But, um, and that's not always easy to discern, but this is where we have to get very discerning about our own, um, our own bodies and lives, which is something comes up. And am I just afraid of the energy? Do I have a history of anger um, being dangerous for me? And then that's an interesting moment, because vulnerability is helpful in those kinds of moments, right? Because if somebody comes and we have that history and we can't be curious, then it might be just very clear to say, I can't be with you right now. Not you're doing something wrong. It's a different response than you need to be another way before you bring this to me. No, I can't be with you right now with this. I can't hear. And, it's an in, and it would be, I was thinking about this last night, it would be interesting to go into a discussion and say, there's something I want to communicate to you. Are you open to that at all? If you are, this is the thing I want to talk about. Do you feel at this time that you can be curious about that? 
Can you be curious about that? And just ask, and no harm, no foul if you can't. No, I cannot be curious about that right now. Thank you for bringing it to me. Let's talk in three days, and I'll see if I can be curious by then. Give me some time to digest what you've just brought to me, and then I can see if I can be curious and come back to it. Because for me to be curious about that, my heart, I may have to go through some of my own pain before I can be curious about that. I may have to work with my own pain before I can be curious to hear what you're telling me. And to give each other space to move at that speed, at the speed, we say this sometimes, Laura says this a lot, to move at the speed of our pain. But the thing that I, I just want to say, the thing that I, um, I really want us not to do as we learn the teachings is to use them to create a space where we cannot tolerate messiness, where we cannot tolerate um, emotionality, where we cannot tolerate. Our jobs actually are to tolerate that not to control the environment so we don't have to deal with it. Now that's not to say everybody gets a free pass to just wield whatever. My job on my side is to attend to the precepts and to do my best to communicate in gentle, kind, open ways. And sometimes there's energy behind it. If there's gonna be energy behind it, I need to be very clear that that energy is there for a wholesome reason. And if it's not, then I need to check into what's going on. That's what I need to do on my side as an actor in the world. What I need to do on my side as a listener in the world is when somebody comes to me at the time of the feedback, I am to listen and be curious. If at that moment I try to turn that moment into the teaching moment, it's going to backfire. 100% guaranteed. If somebody's giving me feedback and then I bring the teachings to the way they're bringing the feedback, dead in the water. <laughs> this is a really important point. That is not the moment for the teachings. That is not the moment to say, this is, you know, this is actually constructions and projections right now. Not the moment, however true it may be. So wait, listen, listen for what may be true. Even if 90% of it's nonsense and totally their karma spinning out, which is a possibility, listen for what may be true what you can use to actually clarify what's going on for you. Because there are some things that I, um, there are some things that I do that are purely relationally problematic. And that's the only re reason they're problematic, is that in one group of people, they're not offensive. And they're totally fine. And there's no negative intention there. And then I turn to another group of people, and the very same thing comes across as condescending. It does not matter what my intention is at that point. It does not matter. 
at that point, I need to pay attention to context. That is the teaching of upaya. That is the teaching of skillful means, is regardless of my intention at that point, I am looking to see what is contextually appropriate. And if I'm going to hold so fast to the way I do things, that when I move to another context, I'm just like, well, you're just wrong. All you people are wrong. That's not what I mean. You need to look at the projection. You need to look at the constructions. <laughs> that, is, that, that is really one of the most violent things we could do in a Dharma community. Because when we use the Dharma that way, first of all, we disparage the Dharma. We elevate self over others. And we undermine the integrity of the Dharma in the community. We completely undermine the integrity of the Dharma in the community. I, f that I feel angry energy come up when I say that. We cannot undermine the integrity of the Dharma. We cannot do that. So at the moment of listening, it's the moment of listening. And it may be, you know, it's, it may be that the feedback is really off base. But then again, there's the waiting period. I would encourage us all to have the waiting period. To take the feedback, listen for what's going on, see what may be true, and say, I need three days to process this, and maybe we'll have another conversation. And maybe at that point, you can kind of discern and say, well, this part was actually really helpful, and I heard it. And it supported me in clarifying who I am. But this part, mm, I don't, this doesn't feel so accurate. And the reason I think that's important is because of context, right? Sometimes, let's just, um, let's just take an example of the loving father that gives condescending feedback to the daughter as an example, right? Some of that feedback may be accurate, and some of it may be paternalistic, condescending garbage. So how do you tease that apart? And we can see this in all kinds of contexts, right? Teachers may, a teacher may give um, feedback. Some of it may feel good, and I invite everybody to do this. If a teacher gives feedback, and some of it resonates, and some of it does not, then the next time you meet with that teacher, talk about what resonates and what didn't, because the teacher needs to learn who each of you are. There is no way to, for the teacher to know unless there's a conversation that's going on that helps clarify the process and relationship. So this is the slowing down part. And I think if we do this, then we can talk about the things we need to talk about. People can bring um, the complexity and totality of their humanity instead of feeling like they have to leave parts of it at the door to be able to be in the space. I think that's enough. May our intentions equally Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, 
please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.